Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Some young Native athletes earn scholarships and a chance to continue their athletic career on a college sports team. Whether an athlete comes from a small rural community or a large urban one, getting on the radar of a college recruiter can be a challenge along with navigating the recruitment process. Add in the chance to profit from name, image, and likeness deals, and it's a lot for a young person to manage. In this hour, we'll talk about what young Native athletes and their families should know before signing on to a college team. We'll start the conversation right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Department of the Interior has held its third stop on a tour to hear from Indian boarding school survivors. South Dakota Public Broadcasting's Lee Strubinger has more. 78-year-old Rosalie Quickbear attended one of the 31 boarding schools located in South Dakota. The Sachangu Lakota describes being powdered with the pesticide DDT, spending weeks with an untreated broken leg, and getting locked in a dark cement cellar for days. Quickbear describes her experience like this to her grandkids. You see all this horror stuff on TV, real bad? That's how we grew up. That's why we're like we are. Quickbear says her experience at St. Francis Indian Boarding School still affects her. I thought there was no God, just torture and hatred. Sometimes I am, I'm still to this day, I'm quiet, I'm off, away from people. Because I still can't really feel that love that we're supposed to know as a human being. Another survivor says every boarding school story is similar. Cheryl Angel also spoke. We were treated inhumanely. It's stories like this the Department of Interior is collecting as part of the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative. The initiative hopes to identify marked and unmarked burial sites from across the boarding school system and the total amount of spending and federal support for the schools. Interior Secretary Deb Holland was also in attendance. She says the tour is one step among many. That we will take to strengthen and rebuild the bonds within Native communities that the federal Indian boarding school policies set out to break. The Road to Healing is a year-long tour. For National Native News, I'm Lee Strubinger in Mission, South Dakota. The federal government rolled out a new Arctic strategy this month. As Emily Schwing reports, it's unclear what this new strategy means for residents on the ground in Alaska, the only U.S. state in the Arctic. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced the new strategy for the government's future policy in a video posted to Twitter. More than 50,000 Americans live in the Arctic, home to unique ecosystems and biodiversity. It outlines four areas or pillars that will guide White House policy in the Arctic in coming years. The last time the U.S. government released an Arctic strategy was in 2013. That version was heavy on military presence in the region. The new strategy also calls for improved military capabilities in Alaska, but includes three other objectives that focus on economic development, climate change, and international relations and diplomacy. It's much more of a, of a list of goals. That's Amy Lovecraft. She's the director of the Center for Arctic Policy at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. She says the Biden administration has revived Obama-era policies that were discarded by the Trump administration, 
But she says the new strategy falls short of providing clarity on how the goals outlined might be met. So these are strategic objectives. What I want next are the action items. It's action items that Lyman Hoffman also wants to see. He's been a state legislator representing Western Alaska as a Democrat for more than three decades. How do you make uh, people that are living in the Arctic uh, their lives affordable to live up here? The food is high, the transportation costs are high, the heating costs are high, everything is uh, too exorbitant. Hoffman says he'd like to see a strategy that addresses on-the-ground realities for Alaskans. Things like melting permafrost, food security, and the need to relocate remote villages as the climate continues to warm. For National Native News, I'm Emily Schwing. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. There's no reason to let uncertainty about the election process keep you from voting. That's why AARP created state-specific, comprehensive election guides. Learn more at aarp.org slash election guides. AARP supports this show. Support for the renovated Anchorage Marriott downtown, one block from the Denina Convention Center, close to restaurants and shopping. Reservations are being taken at 800-228-9290. A special rate is available for those attending AFN. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Getting signed to a college sports team is a dream for many Native high school athletes. It's not only a major accomplishment and acknowledgement of success, but it can also be a significant higher education financial boost, and in some cases now, a chance to profit financially. But it comes with responsibilities, pressures, and risks. The recruitment process can also be a lot for a high school student to manage, Recruiter meetings, campus visits, researching schools and teams, and of course, they still need to study and perform on the field, court, or mat. Some Native athletes, especially those in rural communities, have to act as their own representative to get the attention of recruiters. In this hour, we'll talk with Native athletes about college sports and what young athletes should know as they take this important step in their athletic and educational journeys. You can join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us from Philippi, West Virginia, is Emil Mitchell. She's a senior shooting guard at Alderson Broadus University. Emil is Nez Perce from Lapway, Idaho. Emil, thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Emil, I think the last time we spoke, I was up in Lapway and you were a senior at Lapway High School getting ready to lead the Wildcats to their third consecutive Idaho State Basketball Championship. Does that feel like a lifetime ago now? It definitely does. It it feels like that's a whole lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah, time just really, really flies. So tell us, um, you... Uh, graduated you were a, a superstar there in Lapway and then you first went to school in Chicago how many years did you play in Chicago and where did you go to school first out of, out of high school 
Uh, out of high school, I went and attended Joliet Junior College, the south suburb of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, and I only played there for my freshman year. Uh, so, yeah, I played one year at Joliet. And then after that, you, you switched over to a school in, in Memphis, Tennessee? I did. I transferred to a HBCU. And for those that don't know what a HBCU is, it's a historically black college and university um, in Memphis, Tennessee. And I attended Lamont Owen College for three years. Well, Emil, tell our listeners, what was the, the college recruitment experience like for you coming out of Lapway High School there and then making that switch all the way there to the Midwest in Chicago? Uh, coming from Lapway, not too many schools from far away were really looking at me. Honestly, a lot of the schools that were looking at me were more so close to home and in the Pacific Northwest area, which I was always grateful for. But I always knew I wanted to go farther away to be able to explore and get to know new places. And so I really had to advocate for myself. Um, I created my own script in my notes. I would call coaches myself, email coaches myself, uh, and I would fundraise to attend showcases uh, in different cities, big cities, so uh, other coaches would be able to get to recognize me. And so when I did a showcase in North Chicago, that's when Joliet had found me, and when they offered me, I just knew right away that's where I wanted to attend. So you made the move all the way to Chicago, and did you have help from family and friends and, and coaches there in Lapway to help you make that decision? Uh, no, I I really didn't want any help to make the decision. I wanted to make sure the decision was made solely off of what I wanted to do. Um. And so, of course, I talked to my mother and I talked to my brothers. Uh, I didn't tell my younger siblings where I was going until the day I announced my commitment because I just I didn't want them to tell their friends and I didn't want anybody to know because I didn't want anyone to instill fear in me for going so far away from home when I'm so young. Um, so I really made the decision by myself and my mom and the rest of my family just supported me 100 percent and told me to chase my dreams. So you kept it as a secret under wraps there. And then, Emil, I know you went to a lot of basketball camps when you were in high school. Did that help you with the recruiting process as well? I believe it did. Um, you know, when you go into basketball camps, you, you meet other players, you meet other coaches. And when you do that, you're making connections and you're getting your name in other rooms where you're not physically in. And so people get to know about you and they'll look into you and they get to find out about you. So I believe attending other basketball camps it helped me a lot. Now, you earned multiple scholarships. Were they a combination of athletic scholarships and academic scholarships? Yes, they were. And was that enough scholarship money to cover all of your college costs so far? Uh, for the most part, yeah, it was. Um, at Joliet, I don't, I did not take out a single loan. Um, at Lemoyne Owen College, I took out maybe a small, small loan, but it was nothing too crazy. So majority of my costs were covered with academic and athletic scholarship. And have you had to do any part-time work, any jobs or anything like that to supplement some of that income as well? Um, the only time I ever did work was when I attended Joliet and I worked in the summertime because I moved away so early in the summer. Um, and then I worked all the way up until my season officially started. Uh, and then after that, I wasn't working anymore, but I worked solely just to, help myself have extra money on the side to do the things that I wanted to do. 
Emil, you've played college basketball in Chicago, Memphis, and now you're in West Virginia. And you mentioned earlier that your family was a little bit apprehensive about you moving so far away to pursue your dreams. Have you had a chance to play with or against many other Native athletes? Uh, Actually, no, I haven't. Uh, I do recall playing against one other Native athlete when I was at Lamont on college. I believe she went to Mississippi College. And Mississippi College was not in my conference, so that was a non-conference game. But I believe I played against her once or twice. Do you ever miss playing on an all-Native team? Oh, all the time. All the time. Because I find myself myself still trying to uh, do things like I would on the tourney trail where it's just it's so much fun and freeing and it's run and gun and we all know the exact same style of play. Uh, when I came all the way out here, you know, I had to adjust my game and learn a new style of play and really implement that into how I'm the player I am now. Emil, that's one of the things I hear from college athletes that, that they will say is that at the college level, it's not always as much fun. It's, it's very serious. It's, it's like a job in many ways. Have you experienced that, just some of that pressure and that intensity that that, you know, as, as growing up there in Lapway playing and just the joy of the game that, that drew you to the sport to begin with? Uh, I definitely agree. I mean, I always say to people all the time that playing basketball is my job. That's what I'm, that's what I'm here to do. That's how I'm making it through college. Um, but I definitely agree that playing back home was a lot more fun just because I'm playing with the people I grew up with. And our native humor is just something that's completely different. You know, the smiles and everything are just so much bigger and brighter. And here it's, you know, you're, you're locked in. You, it, everything is taken very seriously. And it's, it's definitely a big difference, but I definitely don't take it for granted. And I love how it is out here as well. But I do miss it from home. Emil, you graduate in May. What are your plans? Uh, I have two decisions to either decide to finish out my one more year of eligibility uh, while getting my master's, or I can decide to go ahead and try to go play professionally overseas like how I've always wanted to. And if you go overseas, is that another recruiting process, or, or how do you get connected with some of these teams, these leagues in Europe and other parts of the world? Thankfully, I have um, quite a few friends that play overseas, and then I have my older brother who he has friends that play overseas as well, and those are connections for me that I can reach out to and get help, but it really starts with getting an agent um, and getting an agent who also knows people and can get you out there and send your film out to the correct teams, and it's, it's really just like another recruiting process. You know, The team has to like you, the team has to want you, and they got to reach out and ask for you to be there. Well, Emil, you talk about, uh, you know, growing up there in Lapway, and it sounds like you guys played a lot of res ball there in Lapway, and, and that was definitely a great experience for you. How often do you get back home to Lapway? Uh, really once a year. Um, I haven't been home since, ooh, it's probably almost going on almost two years now. Um, so I'll be able to go home this year for the first time in a while uh, during my Christmas break. And what advice do you have for somebody listening today, maybe a high school basketball player, a senior, a junior, maybe a sophomore, maybe a freshman just getting started? Um, what do they need to be thinking about if, if they're serious about pursuing the dream of being a college athlete? Uh, to, to take your craft serious, 
um, if basketball is something or whatever sport you want to play is something that you want to do in college, you have to lock in now. You have to really focus on what you want to what you want to get done. And if you're scared that you can't accomplish your goals, you got to overcome that fear because everything that you want to get done, all your goals and all your accomplishments will always be on the other side of fear. Emil, another issue I hear about with college athletes, you know, like you said, it's like a job and it's just so demanding. And what about just your studies? Is it tough sometimes to delegate your time so you can still focus on your classes and still be on the court and perform your best both on the court and in, in the classroom? How do, how do you manage that? And what do you recommend to, to other college athletes or anybody just interested in playing college ball, how to manage their time? Me personally, I do believe that it it is difficult. It definitely has its moments where you really don't want to do the schoolwork, where you just want to go to the gym instead. Uh, but you really just have to set aside the time to knock out a couple assignments that you wouldn't start until 11 o'clock that night. There's, Although practice can be demanding and sometimes you have two practices a day plus a lifting workout and then you go to study hall and you don't want to be in study hall, but when you're in study hall, you really just have to do the assignments. And then when you have your free time, I know sometimes you just want to sleep. Just 30 minutes will get you further than just not doing it at all. I mean, all you got to do is put your name on the paper, put the date on the paper, and that's further than what you were already before. So it's just, it just takes the little things to get you started. Um, and you really have to be self-disciplined and find that little motivation just to get the work done. Well, it sounds like it, and definitely you have to avoid that procrastination, it sounds like. And even just a little catnap, I guess, can make a big difference. So we're talking now with Emil Mitchell. She is a basketball player at Alderson Broadus University in West Virginia. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Whether it was an issue in their community that called their attention or an inspirational person's words, many tribal leaders remember the spark that propelled them into the important roles they have now. We're continuing our tribal leader series with a conversation on what inspired their dedication to their communities. That's on the next Native America Calling. Local tribal museums are the experts of indigenous histories, cultures, and values with the tools to educate the public. On the first National Tribal Museums Day, on December 3rd, participating museums will offer no-cost admission, special exhibits, and live cultural demonstrations. Learn more at indian-affairs.org slash Tribal Museums Day. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this program. Welcome back to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about college sports today. There are many Native college athletes out there on the field, on the court, at the net, and on the mat, racking up points and wins, and they all had to go through a recruitment process. Are you or someone in your family a current or former college athlete? What should athletes and their families know about the fast-paced, ultra-competitive world of college sports? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's switch gears and head south to Oklahoma, where Zach Blankenship joins us from Stillwater. Zach is a freshman at Oklahoma State University and a member of the OSU wrestling team. He's Cherokee and Navajo. Zach, when we had you on the show last spring, you had just won your third Oklahoma High School State Wrestling Championship. It's great to have you back. 
appreciate you having me. Well, Zach, how does it feel to finally be a cowboy? Are you getting settled in? Um, it feels awesome, and yeah, I'm I'm getting settled in. You know, uh, we're having midterms this week and next week, so I'm uh, kind of officially uh, acclimated to the college life. Well, I want to ask you also, I mean, you're there in the wrestling room in Stillwater, OSU. OSU, it's a top-tier Division One program. Your head coach, John Smith, uh, is one of the most decorated amateur wrestlers of all time. Just one weight class up from you at 133 pounds. You have a, a two-time NCAA finalist in, in Dayton Fix. What's what's it like making that adjustment now from, from the high school wrestling scene to a, a high-level college program like OSU? Um. You know, it, it's it's. Uh, I appreciate it. That's for sure. Um, I kind of got humbled really quick, uh, just going from high school to college. It's almost like a whole new sport to me. Uh, you know, going with guys like Dayton and um, you know Master Giovanni in the room. They're uh, they're a whole nother level. So uh, I definitely got some work to do. That's for sure. Well, Zach, tell us more about your recruitment experience when you were in high school. What what made you decide to to choose OSU? So I've had some OSU ties uh, my whole life. My dad's worked for their uh, for their hospital in Tulsa um, for most of my life, so I've grown up an OSU fan. Um, but I wasn't really set on uh, set on them for sure. Um, I wanted to, you know, dive into my recruitment process, um, which I, I feel I did. But I also uh, I was a multiple sport athlete in high school, so I spent probably most of my time playing football and. Uh, I missed out on a lot of my uh, recruiting process because of that. Um, some schools that were interested wanted me to come up, and I uh, kind of prioritized football over that and missed out on some uh, opportunities because of that. Um, but Oklahoma State uh, kind of kept with me the whole time, and you know I got up there and met the guys and met the coaches and just uh, toured the college and everything, and I, you know, I knew it was right for me. Now, you were a top recruit in your weight class nationally. What other schools did you consider before choosing OSU? Um, some schools that I was really set on uh, included um, Little Rock. They're a new program, but uh, they had some awesome coaches and uh, a great school. Um, I was talking with uh, Wyoming. Uh, uh, Coach Branch I actually talked to, uh, who I was on the show with earlier this year. Um, Oregon State, um, uh, even uh, OU uh, here in Oklahoma. I was talking with them a bit. Well, glad you mentioned Coach Mark Branch. Uh, yeah, he was on our show last spring, and he's a member of the Caw Nation, uh, head wrestling coach there at University of Wyoming. And, and Zach, may I ask, did, did OSU give you a full-ride scholarship to wrestle and, and go to school? Um, they did not give me a full-ride uh in wrestling, you only have like 9.9 scholarships per year, so it's uh, they kind of spread them out pretty, uh, you know, pretty good to make sure that they can have, recruit multiple guys. But um, I did get enough to, to wear with other scholarships from uh, stuff I had, and my dad, since he's an uh, employee for OSU, um, I got some scholarships for that. I'd, I'm not paying anything currently for to go to school here. Zach, the big news in, in college sports these days is NIL. 
2021, the NCAA agreed to allow college athletes to to profit from their name, image, likeness. And that means you can be paid to endorse products and services. You can do social media posts. You could sell clothing and apparel. You can make public appearances. Have you been able to take advantage of any NIL opportunities? I have not yet. Um, You know, it's still all kind of new. You know, even the people here that are in charge of it don't really know uh, too much about it yet. Um, I do have teammates. Uh, that are getting into it. Um, I have not yet, but I'm uh, as soon as I start actually uh, wrestling and stuff, uh, hopefully I can get some endorsements for sure. Well, as I understand it, the key to a successful NIL career, I guess you would call it, is to have a really strong social media presence. So is that something that you have to do in addition to, to the wrestling and the schoolwork and all that is think about maintaining a strong presence there on social media? Um, I haven't, I mean, I have thought about it, of course. Um, as of right now, I'm kind of just trying to focus on school and uh, wrestling, of course. But, um, you know, if I succeed in wrestling, the social media probably comes with that. Um, so it's not something I'm too focused on, but I mean, I'd welcome it, of course, if uh, a large uh, social media presence uh, were to happen. I like that that perspective. If you succeed on the mat, you succeed in the classroom, then then that social media is probably just going to be there for you like it should be for sure. So uh, earlier, Zach, we heard Emil talk about the basketball camps and how that was a, a recruiting tool for you. And I know there's there are a lot of wrestling camps all over the country during the summer months. Did you go to a lot of those camps and did those help you connect with coaches and other programs? Um, You know, like I was saying earlier, uh, most of my summers were actually spent uh, doing football workouts and stuff. Um, I missed out on some camps and tournaments that I definitely should have gone to. Um, where a lot of my uh, recognition came from was just, you know, being able to win state the amount of times I did and just do good in the tournaments during season. Um, I was able to, you know, reach out to coaches and they were able to reach out to me as well. Uh, I also had uh, t- two of my coaches, one of them, uh, was a former uh, coach at Stanford for wrestling, uh, Coach Ray Blake, and then a uh, coach I've had ever since I was uh, started wrestling, Coach Shane Roller. He was a uh, coach at Oklahoma State at one point, and they both helped me out big time, reaching out to coaches, showing them my film. So I definitely got them to thank for uh, all the attention I got. Zach, did you get recruited to by any football programs as well? Um, I did not. I I might have had really small school reach out to me, um, but I knew I was going to go wrestle. Now, earlier we were talking with Emil and, you know, saying, you know, college basketball, it's like a job. It's so time consuming. Uh, How are you managing between being on the wrestling team and you're a pre-med major as well. And I know you've got big dreams for, for being a doctor in the future. How do you balance everything right now? Um, like Emil was saying, it's kind of just finding time. Time management is the biggest thing for sure. Um, I got a lot of my uh, early courses out of the way in high school with our concurrent program. So I'm kind of jumping right into some of my uh, science classes. Um, and it's definitely been a grind for sure. Um, just finding time between the morning practices and the afternoon practices. And you, you can't be staying up late because you have morning practices you know, every morning. Um, so just being able to find time to do your work and stay on top of it and you got to prioritize that over, you know, going out and hanging with friends. 
Sure, sure. Now, Zach, the 2022-2023 wrestling season, that is currently underway. I know the first meet is coming up here, uh, I think, in less than a month. So what goals have you set for yourself both on the mat this year and as well as the classroom? Um, my goals for the mat is, um, you know, of course I'd want to start. Uh, it'd be tough as a freshman. We have, you know, really talented 125-pounder in here already. Um, you know, my goal – for wrestling is just that all the open tournaments I'm going to go do or any matches I wrestle at all this year is just to compete and show that I'm able to com- compete at the college level. And then in the classroom, you know, of course, is to maintain a high grade point average and, um, yeah, just uh, be able to succeed on both the mat and the classroom. Well, Zach, really appreciate you joining us. I want you to, uh, if you can, please stay on the line and Emil as well, because I definitely have some more questions for you later on in the show. But joining us now from Chandler, Arizona, is Creon Fulgham. He's a defensive back for the Chandler Preparatory Academy football team. He is Navajo and Samoan. Creon, welcome to the show. Hello, good to be here. Well, Cran, it's, it's great to have you. And we're talking with Zach, who's a, a freshman in, in college, and Emil is a senior in college. And you are only a sophomore in high school, sir. So you're a few years younger, but you just got done playing in a, in a really high-level bowl game with some of the top high school football players in the country. Tell us about it, Creon. So I got selected to be part of a game called the Dream All-American Bowl. And it was it took place this past year, I, think, I believe January, and it was in Dallas, and we got to play in uh, AT&T Stadium, uh, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, so that was fun. Um, yeah, it was really good. Uh, I started as a safety. Um, I got an interception to end the game, and, yeah, it was a good experience. I got to meet a lot of good talent from all over the country. I got to meet a couple coaches, so... Got my name out there, so it was really fun. Well, you just said, yeah, you, you got a pick, and I know you made four tackles, so really nice job out there representing uh, Arizona, Navajo Nation, as well as your Samoan people. And, uh, Creon, were there a lot of college recruiters at that game, and are, are, are you moving in that direction? Is that your dream here in the next few years, to, to play at that next level? Yeah, that is my dream. Um, it was – the bowl game was – more of a like stepping stone for college coaches to start looking at people. It wasn't there weren't many recruiters there. It was mainly just for people to get some film and then send it out to coaches. So that's mainly what it was. But um, over this past summer, I started going to a lot of camps, and that's where I got a lot of interest, and I started making my name out there. Um, yeah. Well, I heard you wrote Skoden on the back of your jersey. Is that oh. true? <laughs> Yeah, I put Scoot in, <laughs> and then I uh, also ran out with the uh, what's it called uh, Navajo Nation flag as we uh, came out for the opening, I guess not kickoff but introductions. So I ran out with the Navajo Nation flag, which was I thought was really cool. But uh, that was my mom's idea, and I was really proud to do that. So, Crayon, how long have you been playing football? I've been playing since I was in first grade, so about. Seven, eight, nine years. Yeah, almost ten years on the field. So listening to Zach, listening to Emil talking about the camps, and I I understand you're already doing some of that stuff. What about um, 
you know, getting getting highlight videos together and communicating with some of these programs, or is that already starting there with you and your family? Uh, yeah. So I have a um, more of a recruiting mentor to help me just like do stuff right for in terms of recruiting. His name is Lou Perone, but he really helps me stay on top of things because the recruiting game in like terms of talking to coaches is very like. It has to be consistent. You have to create relationships with coaches. So you have to be on top of things quite a bit and staying consistent throughout the entire season. It can't just be like you make one highlight in the beginning or at the end of your um, at the end of your season. It has to be continuous. So uh, he really helps me out on that. And just talking to coaches and, like, keeping updates with them really helps. So just I think one thing people can learn is that just – staying consistent and constantly talking and actually creating relationships with coaches really helps because they want to know who you are and, like, I guess know what they're investing their time and money in if they really do want to offer you or have you on their team. Recruiting this, or Crayon, excuse me, this recruiting mentor you described, how did you get connected with that person? Is that somebody, is that like a, somebody, a friend that, that just volunteers their time, or do you pay that person? How does that work? It's, uh, so I got, um, they help me with recruiting, and we just pay them like maybe 10 bucks a month. It's not, it's not, it's not too much. It, he, he really is a good guy. Um, I got connected to him from my coach from my freshman year uh he had known him from past recruits that have gone on to play for BYU, Arizona State, U of A, stuff like that. So we were like, "Oh, shoot. <laughs> we we want to like get the best chance we have as possible." So we contacted him. We've gotten to know him throughout the years and yeah, we've built a good relationship with him. He has my back. I has I have his back, so we know that like we both give each other our best. So yeah, he he's really helped throughout this entire process. Now I know um, you, you can be the greatest athlete on the mat, on the court, on the field, but if you don't have the grades, um, you're out of luck when it comes to playing at that next level in college. So, uh, how much time do you spend uh, focusing on your studies and and those other aspects of school to make sure that you get that scholarship in a few years? Um. A lot, a lot of time. It is rigorous work. Um, the school I go to is a college prep school, so we have more advanced classes, which means like I have to have more. I put more time into my studies. Um, our football team does a a study hall before practice, so that means we all have to get our homework done, study for any classes we have to study for, and our our school is a big part of our football team. So like. If you don't have the grades, then it can't. You can't play. That's basically what our coach says, which is common for every other football team. But I, I, I spend lots of time on my grades. It's. I know because of COVID, my grades kind of fault like went down a little bit. But ever since then, I've been working hard to keep them up and not go to that place again. Well, Korea, tell us more about your family. Um, do you come from, are your parents athletic? Do you have siblings that play football too? Uh, I'm, I'm the oldest of my siblings. Um, my sister is in middle school right now, but she's playing volleyball. Um, my little brother is starting to play football now. Uh, my dad, 
he put he was on the redshirt squad for ASU in 2006. So he played for them. He got to go through some of the recruiting process. He was a walk-on, but still that's the recruiting process. My mom, she played basketball for St. Michael's High School um, down in uh, Winter Rock. Um, my dad also. So, but she played basketball. She was part of the um, state champion, um, state champion team for St. Michael's that year. So, I come from a very athletic family, and shoot, they're they're staying athletic now. So, yeah, I mean. Well, Kriana, I want to thank you. I know you have limited time. You've got to, I think you've got to get to class here in a few minutes, but really appreciate you joining us. Folks, uh, Creon Fulgham, he's a defensive back for the Chandler Preparatory Academy football team. He is Navajo and Samoan. And if you want to give us a call, if you want to talk to one of our college athletes or aspiring college athletes today, 1-800-996-2848. That's our number. Once again, 1-800-996-2848. We're talking college sports. And we're talking about what it takes to be a college athlete today in 2022. So give us a call. We'll be right back. Early voting has started, but with possible changes in district lines and state election laws, it's more important than ever to know how, when, and where to vote. That's why AARP created state-specific election guides where you can find up-to-date information about how to register, where to vote, the rules for early voting, and key deadlines. You don't have to let uncertainty about the election process keep you from voting. Learn more at aarp.org slash election guides. AARP supports this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with Native athletes about the college sports recruitment process. If you played ball in college, what lessons did you learn from the recruitment process? Did you have to be your own representative and get the attention of college coaches? There's still time to join our conversation. Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. Joining us now is Benet Kalik. She's the founder, president, and executive director of the 7G Foundation, an organization that focuses on Native youth leadership through education, culture, and athletics. She's a member of the Palma Band of Los Sueño Indians. Benet, welcome back to Native America Con. Hey, thank you so much. It's a real uh, big honor. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Also, uh, a shout out to uh, Native uh, American Calling. Uh, last, uh, I believe it was last week, we had Marlon Freiberg, who was one of our board, who is one of our board members, um, on the call. So it was really exciting to have that happen, and I'm super excited to be on here today. That's right. I remember it was our football show we did uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, Benet, you know, we're talking all about college athletics, the recruiting process, listening to two current college athletes, one aspiring college athletes. What else do, do our listeners need to know and their families about this whole college recruitment process? Uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk about that. You know, it's so important. Um, I, as a parent, um, have uh, two children, and both of them were we're both in, in sports, and actually uh, 7G was founded on the frustration of, as a, as a parent, um, not knowing the process. And that was something that I kind of had to learn on the fly, you know, as, as um, uh, a previous tribal leader and somebody who was always working in our community, um, my goal was always to ensure that, you know, I, I learned what our people needed to do to help get to the next level. And it is, it is so important 
for for the parents to be able to support um, their student athletes in their goals. Um, I uh, really want to give it up to the discussion that happened earlier, and I'm thankful for being able to listen in. And on the uh, on the on the uh, the opportunities that the individuals had on the call, um, and the challenges that they had, and and the drive to want to acquire uh, the goals that they there uh, and where they are right now. I think for for parents, it's extremely important to understand um, uh, what opportunities are out there, what scholarships are out there, how important grades are, how important attending um, you know uh, school on a regular basis, um, as well as uh, understanding the different uh, uh, UC systems uh, and uh, what and preparing for that that journey of leaving your community, of leaving your reservation possibly. And uh, it's, it's a heavy load, uh, definitely a heavy load. And I know a lot of the issues that happen in our communities is just um, resources and access. I mean, we, you know, Indian country, you know, 574 tribes throughout the United States, but that doesn't mean that every one of us have those resources that, that may be available to ones that are closer to the city, but when we say 574, that's reservations. That's not including um, tribal communities that exist in the cities. Uh, and so uh, it, it's it's a multi-layered uh, type of um, of discussion and and uh, lack of resources as well as resources that are available that we just don't know how to obtain. Uh, I, I know for us as the 7G uh, Foundation. You know, our goal is to be able to assist our, our kids to um, get to that next level by using, you know, our athletic abilities and our passion and our inherent um, skill that we, that we had, that we were born with. But you have to be able to understand the system. Uh, the recruiting, uh, you know, recruitment is, it's a game. And it, and it is kind of who you know. Uh, and I really am thankful that... Um, Oh gosh, I was pulling up his name here. Um, I know actually, well, Creon. It's really exciting to hear Creon on this call because his dad actually is now working with the Seven G Foundation. Um, not only with the football, but we're actually doing some stuff with the Phoenix Center. The Seven G Foundation is so it was really cool to have him speak on on this call. Um, uh-huh. And uh, go ahead, sorry. Well, but, yeah. Well, but I want to ask you about that because Creon mentioned um, this paid mentor that his family has hired to help him with the recruitment process. And and that sounds exciting, but it also sounds like something that I think uh, families might want to be cautious with. You know, I understand it's a big business now helping families negotiate college athletics and recruiting and things like that. What do people need to be mindful of when introducing or, or bringing a third party like that in, into a family dynamic to help make a, a decision about a college sports opportunity? Yeah. And not to downplay what, um, resources are out there, but in talking to several, not only college recruiters, coaches, um, other individuals that are in this type of business, um, their biggest, their first word is, "Be careful." Um, mm-hmm. They are um, not everybody has those that type of funding to be able to support that. But the other thing is too is, you know. What are what is your return? And it is a business. 
we we did talk to some. We the Seven G Foundation talked to a couple of recruiters doing during our showcase for the Atlanta Braves. And the first question I had, because I have the same concerns, was, you know, how effective are these uh, organizations, these companies that are out there doing recruitment uh, for these for these students? And um, the college recruiter said, uh, you know, because Benet, I, they're the last. Uh, email that I look at. I was like, mm-hmm. wow, that, that's interesting. And he said, yeah, he goes, not that we don't. He goes, but we want to hear from the students. He goes, you know, it, we get emails all day long. He goes, but those are the ones that we actually don't really look at first. Okay. Good and information. I really, definitely. Yeah, I really appreciated that, yeah. Okay, yeah, proceed proceed with caution for sure. Uh, we got a caller on the line, Paul. He's listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Paul, hello. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, Paul. Um, I want to thank you for uh, allowing me on the air, and I wanted to um, certainly agree with the last caller. Um, a lot of that was true in my own line of work. I used to be a college counselor, and I worked with a lot of students who wanted to uh, get recruited. And in particular, I wanted to say that um, I share the same and echo the same concerns about the uh, the recruiters. They can be um, helpful to some, but oftentimes they're not necessarily. Um, some of the recruitment camps can be very helpful, but again, they are pricey. And I really wanted to encourage students. I had a lot of success getting students into D2 and D3 schools, Um, a lot of the students, of course, all want to aim for D1. Um, That's understandable, but the D2 and D3 schools frequently have better scholarships. Um, The students end up with more playtime on the field. Um, It ends up being a more personalized education, and hopefully the students are considering that as well when they're looking at schools, that the education itself can be really helpful. Um, And that also includes smaller class sizes. So there's a lot of great things about the D2 and D3 schools as well. Paul, thanks for that comment. And let's go ahead and have Emil respond to that, because Emil, you've played at smaller schools in your college career. And do you you agree that you have maybe a little bit more personalized attention, smaller classrooms, maybe better playing opportunities, as opposed to if you'd gone to a larger school? Um, I do agree uh, to an extent. I'm currently at a Division II school, and my school previous was also a Division II. Um, It's definitely one-on-one in the classroom because your class sizes, for me at least, have never exceeded over 40 people. Um, You get real personal with your teachers. You get to know them very well. Um, And then as well as the court, you know, your family. And I think anywhere you go, you'll always have to compete for your time on the court. But so far with my experience, um, I've had it very well because I feel like I've earned my spot in every school I've gone to play playing-wise. But as far as the classroom goes, it's it's definitely a lot easier, um, especially if you're, you're not very good in a huge classroom setting um, because I know at Division One schools, those can be hundreds of students in a classroom. Emil, thanks for chiming in. And Zach, I'd like you to chime in as well. And, and we were talking with Benet earlier and, and about some of the, you know, the, the money involved with some of these recruiting businesses um, and just individuals like that. And uh, did you, were you approached by any people like that in high school or did your family have to, you know, was it, what is it expensive? Like, like some of these different programs and things like that is, 
to help you get to that next level as a, as a high school wrestler? Um, I never had anybody reach out to me, but like I said earlier, I did have, you know, two coaches that were very familiar with the process and they helped me out quite a bit and I'd have to pay for that just because they were my coaches. And, um, the only expenses we ever paid for recruitment was uh, driving down to the school. Um, and if it was really far away, they'd pay for our tickets to fly down there. So. Now, is there are, is there a limit, Zach, in terms of how many college visits uh, a recruit can make, like per year? I'm not sure with other divisions, but with Division One, I, I think you can take five official, which is where they will pay for you. You know, um, give you money to drive down or fly down and pay for all your hotels and stuff, and that's for your five official visits. And then you can take as many unofficial visits as you want, or you get to do the same stuff, but they cannot pay for it. So you will have to pay. Okay. So it comes out of your, your family's pocket. Got it. Thanks there, Zach. And Benet, let's talk a little bit more about, um, you, you know, what these recruiters are looking for. Obviously grades are important. How important? I mean, like, is there a certain GPA cutoff that, that, that high school athletes need to need to maintain in order to be taken seriously for a college scholarship? And then also how, how good, do do athletes have to be how good a wrestler, how good a basketball player, how good a football player do you need to be to be considered for for a potential scholarship? Um, well, kind of real fast, I wanted to go back to what you were talking about with Zach, which is um, I want to use this opportunity to really focus on, uh, and I'll go back to your 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 uh, question there. But you know, one of the biggest things is really understanding, and I think this is where it comes into recruitment is understanding the difference of the levels of colleges from your Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, the NAIA, the JUCOs, you know, uh, and again, back to the comment is not everybody is going to go to a D1, and it's okay to seek other opportunity and other educational goals. And I think that's where there's also a huge comfortability level. Um, um, and the focus on grades is important, I think, uh, for us, what we do is we focus on, you know, the 3.0 grade point average, but I know many of um, kids are looking at as, you know, as long as I'm at a 2.5, you know, I can maintain it. But when you're looking at different levels of colleges, that's where, you know, it it's, it is extremely important to maintain those grade point averages as well as um, uh, things are continuously changing in the educational system as well. So it, 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 um, it's really uh, important, and I appreciate the caller who was a previous counselor um, sharing his, his thoughts because it's extremely important to know what school system you're going into. And, you know, the exciting thing for us right now is that the UC system is, you know, is providing a whole other opportunity uh, when it comes to uh, tuition. Uh, and that, that's a huge attraction. But, again, that doesn't mean that, you know, you can uh, you go in – to the school uh, maintaining, you know, a lower than 2.5, you know, grade point average. It, it has to be maintained. Um, so uh, the other thing is, too, is the the level of athleticism. You know, I hear from different recruiters or different coaches all the time, you know what, uh, you know, the, the three, the, the three, uh, uh, three uh, two different sports, you know, that you should maintain. But really what it stands behind is it's not just – staying in different sports, it's actually maintaining the health of your body, the health of your mind, the health of what you're doing 
in general. Um, it's really taking the whole holistic approach to it. Um, and, I, and, and that's what should be conveyed is, is really, um, you know, one of the things I hear for, off of um, O-line uh, coaches is like, man, our O-line, you know, they're the heart of the team. But when they come off the field, they're not always jumping right back into, you know, another sport and maintaining that health is extremely important because you can't go right back into the sport afterwards and not keeping um, that level of athleticism or just, you know, health. So um, mm -hmm. it really does vary. Okay. Yeah, but I'm really glad you you mentioned that, the importance of just maintaining health because um, these young people, they've got their whole lives ahead of them beyond sports, and we definitely want to keep that in mind. But hey, um, any resources uh, there at 7G Foundation or other organizations that can help families negotiate the whole college recruiting process? Actually, uh, thank you for asking that question. We're, we're launching the 7G Recruiting um, a program, and but what we also like to do is we we are we're into collaboration. Um, we are collaborating soon with the ACES program. Um, uh, we're in the process of talking to hopefully the NIEA, just because there's um, there's so many resources out resources out there. I mean, I, if you look at NABI, NABI's doing a great job, uh, and so okay. we always ask people, you know, hit us up. Uh, we'll connect you. Um, we, with our relationship with the NFL and now with uh, a lot of the different MLB teams, uh, we're actually being called by different colleges to be the conduit to these communities that are not that are underrepresented, underrepresented, or um, are just not having the resources like others. Um, and just to really quick and share, when I was speaking to recruiters. And my son was out there speaking to the different recruiters. Um, you know, it, it wasn't common that these guys were approaching tribal communities or seeking um, a tribal student. Uh, and so, gotcha. um, I, yeah, and I asked one point, point blank. I said, you know, do me a favor, just ask me, answer me truthfully. And he did. I said, how many Native American kids do you go after? And he said, I don't. And so okay. our right. goal is we're going to have that. to wrap up, Benet. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate those insights, though, really added a whole nother level of depth to this conversation. So, folks, I want to thank all of our guests today, Zach Blankenship, Emil Mitchell, Benet Kalik, and Creon Fulgham for sharing a Native perspective on what it means to be a college athlete. Join us again tomorrow. We're continuing our Tribal Leaders series and talking with leaders about what inspires them to serve. I'm Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening to the one, the only, Native America Calling. Support for the renovated Anchorage Marriott downtown, one block from the Denina Convention Center, close to restaurants and shopping. Reservations are being taken at 800-228-9290. A special rate is available for those attending AFN. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Hao mitaku ye piki. Shichaya ki chichwa pihe lakota wo ichun shinye lo. 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.